Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pew back in front of you. And I believe Luke chapter 1 is somewhere around page 855. So Luke chapter 1. And we'll be skipping around a little bit. We'll start in Luke chapter 1 and read verses 5 through 24. And then we'll be skipping ahead to verses 57 through 80. Listen then, church, to the word of God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient, or and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until, that, the, to, until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a, that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Verse 57, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. 
And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessings to God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we lift our thanks and our praise to you for indeed you have been gracious to your people. And we ask now as we look to your word that you would speak to us, that we would see the truths contained within it and that the spirit would convict us of the truth and that we would walk away from here not only convicted of the truth but that we would also share in some of the awe and the wonder that the people in Judea experienced on that very first Christmas. We pray all this in Jesus' good name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we know, most of us know, the Christmas story centers on the birth of Christ. That's usually what our sermons are all about during Advent, about the birth of Christ. So it might seem a little strange to you to have this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their story the story of her becoming pregnant, uh, the angel appearing to Zechariah, telling him that God had granted that they would have a son, that this story would be included either in our Advent series or even more, more specifically, that it's included in the Christmas story. Because it is here in Scripture. You know, Luke is very intentional. He actually weaves the story of the birth of Christ and the birth of John the Baptist together. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or thought about that, but look down at your Bible with me for just a split second here. In chapter one, chapter one of Luke is, is very long. What is, what, what is Luke telling us about in chapter one? Well, he's actually telling us two different stories and he's going back and forth, isn't he? Look, look at your Bible. Verses five all the way through 24 are all about the angel appearing to Zechariah. 
and telling him the good news that his wife Elizabeth, who was barren and is beyond childbearing years, is going to have a boy. Their prayers have been answered. And then Luke takes the focus off of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and he goes on to Mary. And, and the angel's announcement to Mary that she would have a child, even though she was a virgin, and the Spirit would come upon her, and this child would be called the Son of the Most High. And then after that, what do we have? Well, we have Mary going to see Elizabeth, don't we? Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and then after that, we go back. He goes back to John, and he goes into John's birth. And then after John's birth, chapter 1 ends at John's birth, then Luke goes back to the birth of our Savior. So the story of John the Baptist and his birth is weaved in to the very Christmas story, the story of the Messiah's birth. Now, have you ever wondered why that is? Why does John the Baptist, what, what does John the Baptist have to do with Christmas? I mean, we all know the salvation of the world was a one-man operation, right? So why include the birth of John in the story of Christ's birth? Well, we could answer that from a couple different angles. In a way, the whole of my sermon is going to answer that. But first, I'll give you a couple answers to help frame, frame, frame this so that we, we come to John's story in a, in a right way. For one, John plays an important role in the gospel story. John is the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah, the one who went before him, went before the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah, calling God's people, Israel, to repentance. He was the prophetic voice that cried out to the people of Israel, cried out to God's people that they were to prepare their hearts for the coming king. And this was indeed what the prophets Isaiah and Micah had foretold would happen. That before the great day of the Lord, before the coming of the Lord, God would send his messenger to come before him and prepare the way. And as John's role was unique in the gospel story, so too was the manner in which God raised him up then. From the beginning of John's life, it would be clear that God had a special calling and a special purpose for this man. He was, if you were familiar with the Old Testament story, you would see a parallel immediately when you read his birth story because he was like the great prophet Samuel, born to a mother who had been barren for years, but God heard her prayers and opened her womb and gave her a child who became a great prophet. And so, too, was John the Baptist. So from day one, it was clear that God was at work in this man's life. He was raised up by God to go before the Lord and to point the people to him. He had a special calling in the story of his birth, then confirmed that special calling. Which brings us to one more quick reason why the birth of John the Baptist fits in the Christmas story. And that is that his birth was an addition, additional indication, a collaborative indication of God's miraculous and mysterious intervention in the world at Christmas. The miracle of miracles, of course, at Christmas was the incarnation of the Son 
the coming of Jesus Christ, right? The birth of Christ. But that miracle, listen carefully, that miracle did not occur in isolation from other signs and wonders. No, this, this was, Christmas was an unprecedented time in the history of man. God was breaking into our world. The creator was about to become creature. God was coming to dwell with man, robed himself in humanity. And so it follows that at this time, during that first Christmas time, angels appeared and spoke to various individuals, giving them great tidings of great joy. And a virgin actually conceived and bore a son. And then wise men from the far east saw a strange star in the heavens, and they were able to follow that star to Bethlehem and to certain shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. The heavens were opened. And the angelic host sang to these men the good news that was for all the people. And as the angel foretold, an old woman who was barren all her life conceived and gave birth to a boy named John. So you see, by the night of our Savior's birth, these stories were likely spread, all of these stories were likely spread throughout Judea. Especially this one about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Strange and wonderful things were happening. Things that only God could do. So with that said, we turn our attention to this couple and the story of God's gracious intervention in their lives. It all starts with an unexpected visit from an angel carrying the news of an unexpected answer to prayer. Zechariah, we're told in chapter 1, verse, verses 8 and 9, We're told that he was a priest who served in the temple. He and his wife are described to us, Zechariah and Elizabeth are described to us as being righteous before God. They walked blamelessly before the Lord. And even though that was the case, even though they were a godly couple and Zechariah served the Lord faithfully as a priest and they loved the Lord and they followed his commands, God had not blessed them with children. Elizabeth, we're told, was barren. And this point, they were well beyond their childbearing years. Luke writes that they were both advanced in years, which was just a really nice way of saying they were too old to have kids. Now, I don't have to tell you, but you, uh, you, would, you, you, you can understand this, but this would have been an immensely, an immensely painful thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Some of you know what this pain is like the desire to have children and not be able to. And and those of you who don't know, at least you know someone who has gone through that. You know the terrible struggle of what it can be like for a husband and wife who long to have have children. When they first got married, they had plans. They had dreams. They had already talked about how many kids they were going to have. And then they tried and tried and nothing happened. And they tried and tried again and nothing happened. And the days turned into months, turned into years, and they weren't able to have kids. Well, that was Elizabeth and Zechariah's story. Their whole married life, day after day, they prayed. They asked God for a miracle, and the days turned into years, and the years turned into decades until it was just too late. It was just too late. But then comes the day when Zechariah is given this great honor, 
really a, a once-in-a-lifetime chance. He was chosen by lot to be the priest that would go into the temple and burn incense to the Lord. And when he does this, and when he enters the sanctuary, to his shock and amazement, there standing at the right of the altar of, of incense was an angel of the Lord. And we read in verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled and when he, when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. This is incredible news for Zechariah, probably the best news he could have ever imagined to hear. As we're going to see in a bit, it was so wonderful, he dared not believe it. They were going to have a son. God had heard his prayers, or rather, actually the text says God had heard his prayer, because it was not because Zechariah had only prayed once, because Zechariah had prayed that one prayer so many times over and over again, Lord, be gracious to us, Lord, grant us a child. And as the angel said, his words are fulfilled. And Zechariah's prayers answered, verse 24, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Now, we don't know why she kept herself hidden for five months, but perhaps it was because she knew that until it was obvious that she was with child, people just wouldn't believe her. Because she was so old at that point. Everybody knew she was barren. Everybody knew. And she was, she was so, at that point, if she had gone around telling people, you know, in the first couple months, they probably would have responded with, oh, that poor old thing. She's gone senile. You know, she's just wanted this so bad. And now she's convinced. Have you ever, noticed, have you ever known somebody like that? They, they wanted something so bad for so long. At some point, they just convinced themselves that it was going to happen. You know, and Elizabeth didn't want that. So, so the poor Elizabeth, she just hides herself away for five months until, she, until that baby bump is really, really obvious. And people will believe that God has answered her prayers. But did you notice what she says? Look at what she says. The Lord has looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. In other words, people had wrongly judged her for her childless condition. Kind of like the blind man in John 9, people assumed that she was barren because of some terrible secret sin in her life or maybe her hus husband's life. That's terrible, isn't it? Elizabeth's story like that of the blind man in John 9 shows us the folly of judging all sickness, all health conditions as consequences of a person's sin. Now, not that that's never the case, for we see in Zechariah here, keep in mind, in Zechariah we see a health condition that is certainly a consequence of his sin, right? But nevertheless, we know that was, a, that was the case for him only because God told us so, only because we know the whole story. In all other cases, we do best to leave to the Lord his dealings with others and show compassion to those who are in a place like Elizabeth was. But here, dear old Elizabeth says, the Lord has looked upon me and has taken away my reproach among people. No more, no more would she be wrongly looked down upon by her neighbors. No more would she have to endure their shaming glances. As very likely by this point, most of her friends not only had kids, but those kids had grown and they had kids and they were grandparents. No more than would she feel the sting of that motherly desire unfulfilled, that desire of a wife to be a mother. 
The Lord granted her prayer and the prayer of her husband. Even when she was so sure, and even when he was sure it was too late, God gave her a son. Now, you know, I can't help but notice what a wonderful reminder this is to us, that part of the Christmas story is God answering the prayers of a faithful old couple. Did you know that part of the Christmas story is God answering prayers of an old faithful couple who had prayed the same prayer pretty much their whole lives. And hey, not only him answering their prayers, but him answering their prayer in, the, in a very surprising hour. It, 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 the timing was very surprising. But the time was just right, wasn't it? This is how God always works. He hears the prayers of his people. He knows the burdens of their hearts. And he answers their prayers, never late or early, but, preci- but always precisely when he means to. Always with the intention of increasing their joy in him and always for our eternal good. Now, I'm not saying that the point of this story is that if you pray long enough about something that God will just eventually give it to you. But for those who do have a longing for a good thing, a desire for maybe a faithful, godly spouse, perhaps like Elizabeth, a longing for a child that you haven't been able to have, maybe the salvation of a child who has left the faith. This story beckons you to not give up hope, doesn't it? To not stop praying that same prayer. God heard the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and when they least expected it, he answered their prayers, and he answered their prayers in this miraculous way. And as he heard them, so he hears you, child of God, so he hears you, Christian. He knows your burden, he knows what's best, and remember, Part of the Christmas story also teaches us that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Well, look with me at Zechariah. Because we have Zechariah's response to this wonderful news that his wife will soon be with child. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I love this part. It's kind of like the angel. I, you know, I, I imagine the angel just gets a little bit bigger and his voice gets a little bit lower and a little bit more ominous. And suddenly all the light in the room seems to start to, you know, go away. And it's like everything's getting darker. He's getting bigger. He's getting louder. I am Gabriel. Who do you think I am? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Listen, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? I've, I'm an, I stand in the presence of God and God sent me to give you this good news and you're not gonna believe it? And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now listen, Zechariah was a sharp guy. You say, well, That seems like you're assuming things, Chuck. You don't know he was a sharp guy. Well, yeah, actually, I do know he's a sharp guy, and I can prove it to you. Look at the text. Look at just how careful he is with his words when he talks about his wife. What does he say about himself? I'm an old man, and my wife is? There was a little bit of a pause there. She's advanced in years. So take note, men. He was sharp, but he was also skeptical. And he let his skepticism stand in the way of belief. You know, it was just too unbelievable to him that he and his wife would have a child in their old age. And plus, think about it with me. Let's just apply some common sense. 
His wife wasn't able to have children when she was young, when she was in her childbearing years. So what are the chances she would have a child when she's well beyond her childbearing years? You know, the fact that the angel was standing before him and telling him this was apparently not enough to convince him. So he basically says, I need proof. This is what he means when he says, how shall I know this? Essentially, he's saying, I'm going to need you to prove it before I go and tell my wife and get her hopes up about all this. And because of this, because of his disbelief, he's made mute until the day the baby was born. Now, isn't, isn't that something? Here's a priest of the Lord a man who is described to us in scriptures as righteous and walking blamelessly before the Lord. But when God sends him this wonderful news through an angel that God is going, he's going to intervene into his life. He's going to do something miraculous in his life. Zechariah thought, it's too good to be true. Better not get our hopes up. And either it was God couldn't do that sort of thing or it was God wouldn't do that sort of thing. And I'm inclined to think it was the second. God just wouldn't do that sort of thing. But you see, as I have already said, the Christmas story, including the birth of John, is all about God intervening in our world. And in all the stories of Advent, with with all these various individuals, the wonderful news that God is about to do something miraculous comes to them. And the basic test for each of them is this. Will you believe the message from heaven or not? Will you believe it or not? Do you believe that God can and would do something as marvelous as this? That he would actually intervene in this world? That he's not a deistic God that's so far away that just keeps to himself and lets everything go as it goes down here on earth, but he would actually intervene in this world. He would intervene in the lives of ordinary men and women. He would suspend the laws of nature, making the barren conceive sending a prophet to prepare the people for the Lord, causing the virgin to be with child, and that being pleased as man with men to dwell, he would come to us to be with us and for us, our Lord, our Emmanuel. So we might think it was a bit extreme that the angel would make Zechariah mute for nine or ten months or however long it ended up being when he just asked a simple question. But we need to see the seriousness of it. It was disbelief. Disbelief in a God who involves himself in our world. God was telling him that he was going to intervene in a miraculous way in Zechariah. A priest whose job it was to daily serve the Lord in his temple refused to believe it. Though the message came from an angel on high, He just couldn't get over the natural impossibility of his wife having a child. But the greater issue was whether or not he believed that God could and would do such a thing. Did he believe in a God who would actually intervene? And if that was too wonderful for God to do, to make the barren conceive, then how would Zechariah ever rejoice at the even more marvelous work that God was about to do in Mary? The son born to her was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, it's easy for us to sit in judgment over Zechariah, but how can we be sure that if it was us, we would have believed it? In either way, his story comes to us, and it presses us not so much to ask that hypothetical question of would we have believed, but the real questions straight to us. Do I believe in the supernatural workings of God in this world? 
Or have I bought into the idea of the deistic God who keeps to himself way up in the heavens, far away? Do I really believe that God has intervened in this world in a miraculous way and that by his son, Jesus Christ, he has bridged the gap between God and man? And do I believe that God is still at work here in my life and in the life of countless others, that he has not left us to ourselves in our own demise or to our own trials and our own pains, but that he is doing something in my life and in this world that will result in great joy and gladness for all who belong to him in the end? Or have I allowed a sort of skepticism to come in and cause me to question whether God does really involve himself in the affairs of man or just in my life. You see, if the priest, Zechariah, who was described as a godly, as a righteous man, can fall into that, then we shouldn't be so naive as to think that it could never happen to us. And we learn from his story how serious it is. If it, ha- if it is happening in our lives, we learn that we need to repent of that disbelief immediately because God takes this kind of disbelief very seriously. When you understand the seriousness of this, his disbelief, Zechariah, you see that there, there's this priest of the living God rejecting the heavenly message that God was about to do something amazing in his life, not just for him, but for the sake of his people. When you understand how serious that is, then you get the judgment. You understand the discipline that he receives the discipline of him being mute the whole time his wife is pregnant. And it actually serves as a lesson for Zechariah because it was his sign. Isn't that funny? You know, he asked for a sign. Zechariah asked for a sign. He had no idea what kind of sign God would give him. In a way, God did give him a sign, didn't he? It was the sign of him becoming mute for nine months. And it taught him a lesson because I would imagine that he wasn't mute for very long before his skepticism and his unbelief began to be swept away. Yet God's judgment on Zechariah served another purpose too. In a way, it served as a sign to all who knew this couple and witnessed this strange phenomenon along with Elizabeth being pregnant. This whole issue of Zechariah coming out of the temple having seen a vision and being mute for nine months, it was all a sign pointing to God is indeed at work here. And not simply in the sense that he had answered this couple's prayer, but he was, that God was actually doing something that was far beyond just blessing this one family. And you see this in the naming of the child. Look with me at verse 57. That's why we skipped over there. We read, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring him what he wanted him to be called. And he asked asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. So friends and family all gathered together for this custom of circumcision, which happened when the child was eight days old. 
And it was in a way like a first birthday party, but there was actually more spiritual significance there because this was the day when their newborn boy was welcomed into the covenant people of God. This was the day that he was given a name. Isn't that incredible? They hadn't given, it was their custom at that time, and this wasn't necessarily Old Testament, from the Old Testament law, but this was the custom at the time. The first seven days, the poor little guy didn't even have a name. But, he, but it was because they, they saw the importance of the covenant and the covenant sign of circumcision and them welcoming the child into the covenant people of God. And so finally the day comes and, and this is the day when they give him his name and, this, and, and at that time the name always carried a lot of significance and this was a very exciting birthday party. Everyone knew, every, all the family, all the relatives, all, all the neighbors that came, all the friends that came, everyone knew that Elizabeth and Zechariah had wanted a child for so long. And everyone knew that something miraculous happened because of her old age, that she was, she was pregnant and she was able to have a child at this stage. And so the, the, their house is obviously buzzing with joy and excitement And just as the angel had told Zechariah in the temple in verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. All of that happens. And they're at this party and then something happens that is unexpected. It doesn't go as all, all of the guests thought it would go. Because when they get to the party, and the part in the party, a part in the celebration where they are going to announce the name of the child, Elizabeth throws a curveball at all of them. You see, at this time, it was customary for, for you to name your son after his father or one of his grandfathers. So everyone assumed that the child would be called Zechariah. And it seems like some had already started calling them that. You know how nosy family can be and how assuming they can be at times. Just assume they know what you're planning on doing with your child. And they just start, you know, they come to his first birthday party and they just start handing him candy. Here you go, buddy. And you're like, we weren't going to give him any sugar. Oh, well, every child needs sugar at his age. So that's happening at this party. Oh, let me hold little Zacky. Let me hold little Zacky, right? And Elizabeth says, wait a second, hold on. His name isn't Zach. We're going to call him John. And they go, you can't call him John? Are you kidding me? Nobody in your family is called John. Nobody does this. What a strange thing to do. You know, Elizabeth, she's, she's gone a little crazy. She's so excited about having this child. She thinks she can just come up with a random name, John. So we'll get, you know, let's go, to, let's go to Zechariah because he'll, he'll straighten things out. And so they go to Zechariah because they think surely Zechariah wants the, his boy named after him. And they go to Zechariah and Zechariah, he can't say his name is John because he's still mute. So he asks for a tablet and he writes on a tablet, his name is John. And this, of course, is what the angel had told him. You see, by this point, Zechariah was a believer. He no longer disbelieved that God was doing something miraculous in his life and in the life of Israel, by the way. But he believed, and he wasn't about to contradict what the angel had told him. His lesson had borne its fruit, faith and obedience. 
and he wrote, his name is John. To everybody's surprise, they, it says they all wondered, which it seems to us strange, because we're like, is that really that strange? It just shows us how strong this custom was at that time. It really was strange. Maybe it would have been as strange as us having a child and saying, we're going to give him a new last name. You can't give him a new last name. He's a marshal. You name him after his last name stays the same. What are you thinking, Chuck? No. Yeah, I decided Smith is better. I'm just going to go with that. So when Zechariah writes that, everybody, it says, they all wondered because it was that strange. But then something even more strange happens. Because as soon as he tells them his name is John, at that moment, Zechariah's tongue is loosed and he begins praising the Lord. Now, we have to remember this all happened in a crowded house. Neighbors and family were all there. They were all watching it. For the last few months, they had seen Elizabeth grow that baby bump in her old age, amazingly. She was the talk of the town. Can you believe it? Did you see Lizzie the other day? Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. No doubt she's got a baby in that belly. No doubt. No, I thought it was because she stopped cutting out gluten. No, no. It's not that kind of weight. I'm telling you. You got to see it for yourself. Everybody in the town had witnessed that. And then came the day when a bunch of their friends and family, they all came to see the child and celebrate the couple with the couple. And then as soon as Zechariah confirms that his name is John, a strange thing to all of them, suddenly he's, he's healed of his condition as miraculously, as mysteriously as it had come upon him that day after serving the temple. So mysteriously, suddenly it was gone. And the first words that Zechariah utters are prophetic praise. Now, we, we might not think a lot about that, but listen, let me give you a little bit of a context here. It had been roughly 400 years, 400 years since God had spoken through a prophet. 400 years of silence. God's people had been waiting. They'd been longing for the Messiah. They'd been waiting. And God was silent for 400 years. And now, Zechariah, miraculously, not only is his tongue loosed, but he speaks this prophetic praise. The last prophet had been Malachi, through whom God had said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And now, in the birth of John the Baptist, God's silence, God's 400 years of silence had come to an end. And in the prophecy that Zechariah gives, John is identified as that prophet of God who will go before the Lord, the Messiah, and prepare his way. And Luke tells us the effect that this has on all those who witnessed and more. Look at verse 6, 65. And fear came on all their neighbors. Wonder and fear, awe. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. As you read their story, the story of the angel coming to Zechariah, God opening Elizabeth's womb in her old age, Zechariah being mute until the boy is named, and then giving this prophecy that speaks of God remembering his promises and raising up for his people a horn of salvation. As you consider what it would have been like to be there, to be one of the neighbors or friends or friends of a friend, 
You can imagine the sense of anticipation, like something miraculous, something earth-shaking was about to happen. God was clearly at work. He was undeniably setting up the pieces to lead to a great salvation for his people, one that would mean deliverance from their enemies and the forgiveness of their sins. The tender mercies of God was about to come to those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death to give them light and everybody was on the edge of their seats. And this is what the prophecy of Zechariah is about, by the way. When you look closely at it, and we don't have time this morning to do that, but when you look closely at it, you see that it's not just about, or even primarily about, we could say, the destiny of John, their boy. John himself serves as a beacon pointing to the salvation of God that was just on the horizon. He wasn't the light, but he was, he was the one who would point people to the light. As first John 1, 8, or sorry, John, the gospel of John 1, 8 says of him, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And as the hues of red and orange on the skyline at dawn signal the rising of the sun. So was the birth of the prophet John who would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah signaling for God's people the joyous day, the coming of their long-awaited Messiah, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, in the spirit of God, Zechariah lifts up his voice and he says, In verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And this our God has done. Indeed, our God has done through Jesus Christ. He is our horn of salvation, the one who was promised to come in the line of David, and he has shown us mercy as he promised to Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he has saved us from our greatest enemies, sin, death, and Satan. And he has granted to us that being delivered from our enemies, we might serve him, our God, our Savior, without fear, in holiness, in righteousness all of our days. And so then, let us join with Zechariah and praise our God this Advent season. For indeed, our Lord Jesus Christ, he has come and visited and redeemed his people, and raised up for us a horn of salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this wonderful and this good news that never gets old, that you have come. You have indeed intervened in our world. You are not a distant God, but you are a God who is near because you came to us in the person of Jesus Christ for us and for our salvation. You came to wipe away the curse. You came to give your people life. The ones who were sitting in darkness, the ones who were stuck and enslaved in their sins, you came to redeem us. You came to free us. 
We thank you for this, this Advent season. Lord, and we pray that you would give us the heart of Zechariah, that we, this season, and indeed, this, all this next year, we would praise you with our tongues. We would praise you with our lips, that we would use our voice for the, the, the reason that you gave it to us, that we would say, yes, we believe, and praise your holy name. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and for all time. Amen.